And you're back with us once again, much to your horror. It's the Dice of Screaming Podcast coming oh. at you all. Oh, wow. Right off the gate with that one. <laughs> yeah, we're coming at you. Once again, it's Tuesday. So that means it's Topic Tuesday. Yes, we're, we're arbitrarily required to like have some semblance of order to this otherwise stately progression into despair. Yeah. In so, chaos. No, no, I kid, I kid. You can expect no less from the experimental bassoon soloist of gaming podcasts. Wow. <laughs> That's out there. Out there on the fringe. Radical music makers. We don't need rules. <laughs> or apparently decorum. Um, yeah. It's, uh... <laughs> You're too chaotic. You need, a, you need a certain style. Chaos is our style. Yeah, well, that's true. Woo-hoo! Yeah, and speaking of cast, that uh, lends itself very well to our podcast tonight. So uh, we're talking about uh, things that are going on in the gaming community and things like that the last couple of weeks. Uh, yeah, so thanks everybody for all your thoughts and kind words. Uh, yeah, thanks for the call-ins and you know the, the support. It was really enjoyable. It was really terrific to hear from so many of you. And especially in recent weeks to have uh, run across so many new people. Yeah, Dave Aldridge... Uh, Publish some of our stuff, so we got to get over to there and listen to his podcast. Oh no way! Yeah, he probably has nothing good to say about us. So oh, if you're well, listening to us, nor should he. Okay, no, I mean, he first shouldn't. I would be filled with suspicion if you know uh, if somebody is is offering us praise. I mean, my first look is for sarcasm because I mean, when I say anything nice about us, I check myself for sarcasm first. Yeah, so Dave Aldridge <laughs> over at uh, Deeper Sentinel, thanks a lot. <laughs> Although it's important to remember that. Uh, you know, your your joyful co-host, Mike, here at the Dice are Screaming, is a contrarian of such extreme nature that sometimes I wake up and argue with myself just to stay in practice. So <laughs> He has lengthy arguments with himself about what he should be doing. Yeah, I'm that guy. Walking down the street, you know, you're driving by, walking down the street, and I'm just clearly having a serious argument. And there is no Bluetooth headpiece to be seen. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right, so experimental bassoon soloists of gaming podcasts. Also the schizophrenic hobo of, you know, gaming podcasts. Well, I wouldn't go that far. Well, the hobo doesn't have a shotgun. So, I mean, you know, there's that. All right, well, you know, uh, self-titled as you will. But it does love Rutger Hauer movies. So, you Nothing know, we got that. that going for us, too. Yeah, so we have a call-in, a call-in from Larry Hamilton at Follow Me Wonderful. Yeah, uh, talking about our uh, um, what-if scenario uh, posed to us by Shandy Andy of Unguarded Treasures. So thank you again, Shandy Andy, for that. But uh, Yeah, that was a great conversation. Yeah, that was a great one to have. I had a lot of fun just sitting down and thinking about the what-if-isms, the... And I... I understand that, like, in gaming culture and in nerd culture and, you know, sci-fi and fantasy movie culture, uh, and including superhero and comic culture, it's very common to have the what-ifs and the what-about-isms and the, like, who versus this and what what would have happened if we took this And also in military history. And I, I admit, I was not a big fan of some of those notions because... Uh, you know, it just, it seemed a little derivative to, like, wait, we actually made a movie out of Alien versus Predator? You know, uh, I remember those arguments in, like, junior high, where, like, the one kid's like, the alien would totally kick the Predator's butt! And I'm like, 
Wow. Well, this is a I, level. I, I would beg to differ in that time warp, sir. You have definitely come from a different timeline from the Hedron Collider, wherein that Predator movie was what out in the late eighties, man. That that was way before there was an, any type of the alien. We didn't even know what it was called. People just kind of called it the Xenomorph. But yeah, but you, uh, yeah, there you'd was go a, to the comic shops, and that it's was the, the thing argument. versus the Hulk. Argument, yeah. yeah, like who's the tougher one? Well, the thing's tougher because he's made out of rock, and the Hulk can break rock, so the Hulk would win, right? No, no, okay, no, yeah, and so that kind of thing has been part of our culture forever. But unlike my usual stodginess, I truly had a great time. So, Shandy, Andy, thank you just for the notion, just getting, getting my peaking my interest on that. It turned out to be a really exciting way to think and rethink. Gaming as an experience, as a hobby, you know, what is its past? What could it have been? And those what could have been might be gaming's future yet. And right, and Larry Hamilton has some thoughts to share in that vein as well. So we're going to turn it right over to you. Take it away, Larry. Hey, fellas, it's Larry with Follow Me and Die. Thanks for the shout-out. Uh, also, a good episode on what would have happened without D&D and... I think you're right. Eventually there would have been something that would be role-playing. Because uh, face it, we all ran around with sticks as a kid playing some sort of pretend game. And adding rules to that would make that sort of behavior LARPing. So LARPing would probably have arisen in some form or another. Maybe before at the table role-playing games. Um, the Bronstein game of Wesley had many variations. Uh, there was a Western one and several others. So it was really close, just took the right people to come together and make it come to life. All right, thanks for that, Larry. Yeah, that was uh, that's a good point. It's pretty much, you know... Um, oh, yeah, I have fond memories of uh, backyard... Stick War. Yeah, I even remember... Stick War took many different forms. I remember going to the dime store or uh, Kmart's and finding those uh, belts with, uh, like, Space 1999 and Star Trek. So those... And those were called role-play uh, sets, the little utility belt that you would have, you know, that would come no with various way. things. Yeah. Oh, geez. You know, I, we took uh, leftover bits of lumber from my dad's garage, stuck a couple of nails in it as a handle, and then we would take some crayons and we would color in the sticks, depending on or the, the wood parts, uh, depending on whether we were doing science fiction-y or were we historical. You know, if the stick is a little curved, it's a samurai sword. Uh, but if we found some, like, really perfectly, you know... Uh, uh, straight sticks; those those would be like more European long swords. Uh, so yeah, war war came in a lot of uh, different shapes in the Hannah household. My my brothers can attest. We all have the scar tissue to prove this too. That's right. When you add nails to boards and uh, sticks, yeah, that just is normal growing yeah. up in the seventies. So. Yeah. So yeah, welcome to seventies kid stuff. Which it, it's not about the joyful memories. Uh, and surviving lawn darts. It, it's about the scar tissue. Yep, it's about the scars that you can still show off to this day. Uh, Andy, uh, if you listen to this episode, I'm so you, Andy Hannah. You know, I'm so sorry about the uh, the, the scar right above your eye from that uh, shampoo bottle that was an improvised squirt gun, and then became a grenade. Um, <laughs> uh, 
It's all about war. It's all about survival. So, yeah. Um, Likewise, Chris. <laughs> but, yeah, the Bronstein game is another uh, good example of how uh, a organic process could have started for another version of the role-playing game. So I yeah. think that's important to note as well. And we did kind of, uh, we were remiss, click, click, on that one. So uh, thanks for reminding us, uh, Larry. And, of course, always, uh, as always, uh, you should be listening to Larry's podcast, Follow Me and Die, always full of good ideas, as well as many of the other ones here that uh, deign to listen to us, uh, such as uh, the aforementioned Deeper Sentinels and Unguarded Treasures, as well as Hindsightness, Hindsightness, ah, Hindsightness, and uh, Real or Woe, and uh, Stately Gothridge Manor. Yes. Uh, oh, and I believe uh, one of the people we mentioned has a blog by a different name, which is uh, They Might Be Gazebos. Yep, which I always get a tickle out of reading. Yeah, I think uh, Chuck Doran's also uh, uh, falling off the wayside a little bit as well in our mentions. So uh, yeah, yeah, shame on us. We yeah, we don't. That's two remisses today. Yeah, yeah. yeah but Chuck, we love you. Uh, yeah, if you're still listening to you, Madman, keep it up out there. All right, so at the gaming or gaming it wrong, <laughs> playing it wrong. Yeah, you know, just just you're always playing it wrong. Just get used to it. So are we. Yeah, so uh, anyway, we're going to get on to our topic after we pay a little uh, heed to our advertising, and uh, we'll yes. be back right after these messages. Surrender unto Caesar the salad. And we're back, and thank you for sticking around. So we promised you some topic and uh, shenanigans, so we've done the shenanigans, so it's time to get on to the topic. Uh, oh, oh, I'm not out of shenanigans. But I will restrain my worst impulses, because yeah. this is a terrific topic, and it deserves a... I'm not saying it deserves a somber atmosphere, but I am saying that it deserves some serious examination, and it is Topic Tuesday, so... Okay. We're going to be super serious. Okay, so we're all serial. So, uh, yeah, we're going to be talking tonight about White Dwarf. We've talked about Dragon, the strategic review... And we're also going to talk about some of the other magazines out there. But uh, White Dwarf is one where we have been remiss about talking about very much. Because for most of the time, uh, especially the people across the pond, White Dwarf was the magazine. Yeah. And uh, The Dragon was kind of more of an American or mainstream uh, magazine, if you want to call it that. Primarily seen as principally a house organ of TSR periodicals or incorporated and not a completely inaccurate statement. However, uh, Dragon was, you know, it, it did branch out very quickly to include material from other games. But White Dwarf, over across the pond in England. Yeah, they were uh, on the cutting edge. And so that's what we're going to talk about is their legacy. Um, as much as we talked about the Dragon, you know, it took them, what, about almost, geez, eight years before they even published a module by another company. Yeah, it, Dragon uh, eventually came into its own as a kind of most successful and therefore had an obligation to put forward material for a variety of games and to be interesting to a variety of readers, and it started to expand its reach. But White Dwarf, out of the gate, was enthusiastic about a great many games, that, which distinguishes them as a magazine. Yeah, early on, uh, Dragon made every once in a while had a published adventure in it, uh, sure. and before they started off with uh, Dungeon. But even during that time, they uh, would adapt the Ares publication in the back. Yeah, White Dwarf way ahead of the curve. Uh, it sprung out of Steve Jackson and Nina Livingston's uh, 
need to have a publication. So they started a little gaming magazine back in 75, February or so of that year. And uh, they kind of, I think it was uh, quarterly at that time. And slowly grow into a little bit more of a thing with them opening up their own uh, store, Games Workshop. And they decided to name their magazine, their new magazine, as it were, or rename it. Uh, when Games Workshop started up, they decided to give it a new name because Alan Weasel was like, okay, what, <laughs> what's that got to do with anything? <clears throat> so they chose a curious... Something nature lovers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Those of you who are uh, ornithology and wildlife enthusiasts, behold, Owl and Weasel. And they open the magazine. What the hell is this? I don't even know yeah. what that is. So yeah, they, they, they cleaned up their act and went with something a little more directly science fiction-ish. Or fantasy. And... Fantasy-ish. Uh, a white dwarf could mean a dwarf of a albino cast or with a white beard. And it could also mean, of course, the... Uh, dwarf star. Yeah, the dwarf star, the white dwarf. The very but, dangerous white dwarf. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so they started that around uh, May, June, July, 77. It's not really concrete. You know, evidence varies. Not too sure myself on that one either. But believe me, by the time we started gaming routinely... White Dwarf was entrenched as one of the most widely varied, uh, most interesting magazines uh, on gaming. And unlike Dragon, which I loved, I'm, I'm in no possible respect dissing Dragon Magazine. I loved Dragon Magazine, and it was easily accessible on bookshelves, in bookstores. But White Dwarf, uh, it had a certain variety to it. It had... Uh, a experimental fusion. You know, it had a wider range of data for a wider range of games. Uh, and it, it personally, when I read it, I would clue in to a lot of new concepts, a lot of new games, a lot of ideas coming from across the pond that I had not been exposed to before. So, like, debt of gratitude there. Yeah, so that's what we're going to cover those topics tonight. And, of course, what the primary difference is where you would see in Dragon Magazine was kind of like had several articles related to sometimes a theme or just whatever was uh, the editor felt like publishing at the time. And you would find different articles of various uh, links talking about concepts, uh, new ways to play, perhaps some alternate rules or examination of the rules. White Dwarf was right out the gate kind of that almost punk-esque magazine where it they had articles, they did. But oh, they had games. So if you bought White Dwarf, which was about half the price of Dragon, you got like a magazine with about four or five games. Now, maybe you only maybe played one of those games or owned the rules for one of them. But you were exposed to a whole different spectrum. Like uh, they not only had, of course, AD&D, but they had RuneQuest and Traveler and other games that were out there in the wild that just didn't get the mainstream pickups. Yeah, they were one of the early ones that, uh, when Paranoia eventually came out, uh, they were the early providers of Paranoia modules that were not necessarily part of the standard published repertoire, but, you know, they were a creative outlet that had these, like, smaller module releases available in their magazine. Right. Where in America, where Paranoia was a cult hit, in Britain, it was the star attraction. They embraced it with an unashamed love. They, yeah, have you ever seen Brazil? 
uh, the movie, yeah, yeah, then uh, you will understand that you know deep down in the long dark tea time of the British soul is a total understanding of paranoia. Uh, yeah, they they totally latch on that. Also, Call of Cthulhu um, mm-hmm. adventures were quite common in those days too. So I would uh, also uh, what was the heroes. Jeez, uh, not champions. It wasn't no, it was champions. It was the uh, daredevils. They had a couple daredevil scenarios early on. And did they not? Uh, did they include an occasional James Bond? Yeah, yeah. I, I thought there were some spies. Well, of course, he's British. Well, yeah, you yeah. Know. Awesomely so. Uh. Yeah, so they covered just a little bit of everything. But a couple of the things that made them stand out was, of course, a lot of people remember Thrud the Barbarian by, by Carl Critchlow. Yes. <clears throat> the, very the satirical. The comics section of uh, White Dwarf was very different from the comics section of the Dragon Magazine. I, I'm not saying, you know, the, this is not a value judgment with the, like, oh, Dragon Magazine sucked and White Dwarfs were awesome. No, they were just radically different. So, yeah. Uh, even though you're dealing with the same medium, uh, they were equally interesting. Thrud the Barbarian. Mm-hmm. With his tiny skull on this tiny, enormous muscle bound body, whose principal answer to crisis is to simply crush whatever was opposing him. <laughs> well, he was efficient. I mean, you can <laughs> say that about him. So. Uh, pulling the limbs off of. <laughs> and they had regular offerings like the Traveler's Aid Society. Oh, yes, for the game Traveler. And uh, they had a comic strip, The Traveler's. Which I thought was fantastic. Uh, it is probably... Uh, I I don't believe Traveler ever got the novelization treatment the way no, others but did. They... Now, the Traveler's uh, comic in White Dwarf was as close to a fun-loving view of the game Traveler as I have ever seen. It is honor, honestly the only literary output related to Traveler that I can recall. Did I you hear it. that noise? It was probably just the wind. Science fiction cliche number three. Yeah. <laughs> Which is how you know something terrible is about to happen. <laughs> yeah, in Traveler, they were, in that, to give it some context, they're exploring an alien ship, which in the Traveler game, you know that there were civilizations that came before the current Imperium. And any time you had a chance to check those out, man, the Traveler Society went completely ape over that stuff. Woo! Goody! Yeah, they would pay you maximum credits for alien artifacts. And so they're exploring the ship, and of course, it's very alien-like, you know, where they're expecting a chamber full of eggs or something to happen. And of course, it's travelers, so yeah, everybody's gotta, dead on the ship, so long expired. Yeah, you you got to... Uh, <laughs> but you have to throw in an obligatory, like, all right, if there's any face bumpers, just kill me now, okay? You see one of those strapped to my noggin? You just blow the back of my brain out, all right? Just promise me. Promise me you'll fix this. <laughs> I don't need to live through it. I just need to make sure I don't live through it. <laughs> yeah, and the ship's computer, which a very uh, Hitchhiker's Guide-esque. <laughs> yes, with a sardonic sense of humor. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, uh, the early AI for the ship to reference. And again, and again you know, these were uh, science fiction uh, references that were cleverly inserted into the Traveler-themed comic. So it was a very enjoyable read for somebody who, hey, for instance, like myself, loved the game Traveler. Uh, And so here's White Dwarf with not only do you get the occasional actual extra module for play, 
the actual material that you can run a game with, uh, and articles that expand upon the Traveler universe and gameplay, but you also get a really awesome comic about it. Yeah, you had different comics in there, and of course, yes, like you said, drag, you make the comparison that Dragon sucked. No, it didn't. No, not you at all. You had Wormy, you had uh, Snarf Quest. Bill and Dixie! And, um... Phineas Fingers. Oh, my gosh. Uh, the really old days. Was, I feel like once upon a time in, in uh, The Dragon, was Yamara the halfling uh, thing in that? Or yeah. was that later? Somewhere else? My yeah. Memory. Yeah, that, that was in the later days. Okay. Uh. But, uh, you know, you would find not only articles, but you'd find games and adventures for those games. And so White Dwarf was somewhat of a mixed bag. You could never tell what you were going to get month for month. I, I do want to mention that uh, coming out of the gate early on, did they not have a superb uh, critical reviewer? Yeah, they had Dave Langford of... Uh, we had a book review called Critical Mass, and uh, Dave Langford in uh, England is a very uh, uh, lauded... Uh, science fiction author. Of course, a little bit more tongue-in-cheek, but to have this caliber of guy writing a book review for you month after month. Yeah, this, would... this I, I need to establish that this is very different from uh, a lot of more amateur zine-level magazines where like, it's just somebody with a lot of verb and drive and energy doing their own thing themselves. Uh, they took this magazine very seriously when they started it off, and they, they really managed to pull in somebody with... Uh, you know, pretty authoritative uh, clout and ability as a writer. Pardon. And thus, a certain amount of heft as a reviewer. And, you know, this is to be distinguished from the modern era of the critic, which in the age of the internet, uh, you know, internet critics are a mixed bunch. Every once in a while, there's someone out there with who is very educated on the topic and is thoughtful and looks over the, the strengths, the weaknesses, and is even-handed. You mean completely different from us? Completely different from us. Uh, <laughs> but also completely different from the, the internet era, which is, you know, uh, almost the vaguely disinterested hipster with his man bun and his vape <laughs> oh boy, uh, here we go. pounding away on his laptop at, or his, like, smartphone at the coffee shop uh, over a chai latte while he explains why everything sucks. Uh, you know, just, I, I read a lot of this stuff, and I'm just aghast. Like, wow, they will just literally let anybody do this now. This is not even, I mean, this this is not even as complex as skeet shooting. You know? Hi, 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 my name's Randy Patton. Hey, Mike. Uh, what's your name, Mike Hanna? Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, 2019, this is the internet. Anybody can get on and write your own stuff. Yeah, I, I know, and... You know, the, the frequent accident is to take it seriously wow. as some kind of authoritative review. No. Uh, whereas once upon a time, circa the White Dwarf era, uh, reviewing and critically reviewing a new piece of material or a new science fiction or fantasy release, uh, it was a pretty carefully undertaken thing where you gave it a really thorough examination. You did your homework. Yeah, wow. Dave Blankford turned me on to a lot of uh, science fiction I wouldn't have touched, as well as uh, his reviews of fantasy. He wasn't as big a fantasy fan as he was science fiction, but he was definitely on board with knowing that this was also a wide spectrum. So he would give it a a thoughtful review, like uh, his review of The Black Company differed uh, uh, from Gary Gygax, which I took into uh, consideration. But again, th this was the difference between what was an enthusiast, which 
you know, as accredited as Gygax could have been, he was still an enthusiast where Langford was a writer. He'd been in the scene for a very long time, uh, working with some of the best in Britain in science fiction and fantasy. Like, you know, he was a friend of uh, Michael Moorcock. hyper-literate himself. Yeah, so, very uh, literate dude, so. Yeah, it just, it was a wonderful thing to have a magazine with uh, that kind of heft behind yeah. it. Yeah, and, you know, this was the thing of, White Dwarf is before even the adventure pass. They had several adventures that would span four or five issues, with each one being a, a sequel, an installment to the next, leading off to the next one. So you were like, "Hey, I got to find out what happens next." But you know, White Dwarf was a thinner publication. It uh, it wasn't as hep, but man, did it seem to be packed with just information and true. Okay, the magazine was. Uh somewhat slimmer in form than the Dragon magazine, which rapidly, upon achieving a certain degree of popularity, began to bulk out. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there was an awful lot of stuff packed into just one Dragon magazine. Yeah, Uh, White Dwarf, on the other hand, a little slimmer, but we're not talking cheap seats here, okay? This was uh, a, a good, solid magazine with a nice variety of material contained within uh, at a reasonable price, despite having to, you know, be published in both sides of the big pond. Right, and they had um, they had another uh, fact, uh, uh, regular offering, which was uh, the Fiend Factory, which uh, the early versions of that would see uh, such luminaries to the uh, Fiend Folio, like uh, correct. This is you know, uh, the Dire Corby, our British cousins. Excellent uh, contributions to gaming monsters. Some of them a little weird by our standards, perhaps, but others absolutely fascinating uh, and really enjoyable. And th- this was the material that became the precursor of D&D's Fiend Folio. Mm-hmm. Uh, collecting together all the interesting creatures published in other scenarios in England. Uh, I really enjoyed the Fiend Folio uh, it has been of enormous use to me. So, once again, this is a thing that dates back to the White Dwarf magazine, which deserves proper credit for being right there at the forefront. Uh, should probably, you know, I, I do want to talk about White Dwarf now. And I, I, oh, don't, yeah. I don't mean to do this in a, in a sense of bitterness. Okay, I, I don't feel like White Dwarf lives up in its current incarnation, to its legacy. Yeah, probably their heyday was around the early, mid-80s, about 82 to 87. That's when they were at their heyday, about four-year span there, uh, where they were just hitting the mark and everything, you know, and they were just getting it together in the early part of the 80s. It all come together right about uh, 84 through 86. Um they really put a good, together a good magazine. Then they published their own fantasy game, uh, Warhammer Fantasy, and uh, they'd also uh, been kicking around with the Warhammer Fantasy battle system. Well, and before that, of course, uh, Warhammer 40K. Well, that would come initial... out later. Yeah, oh. Later. Yeah, that came out much after the uh, the role-playing game. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I they... got the order wrong. I'm so sorry. Yeah, they were... Well, you would... If you followed Games Workshop, uh, they also had another magazine, the Citadel magazine, which would come out quarterly, which would have... Uh, Occasional comic strips and uh, stuff from White Dwarf, but they kind of seem like uh, the Citadel magazine. Their catalog was more of 
that was a house organ, and they wanted White Dwarf to be distinct. Uh, but when uh, Steve Jackson and Ian Livingston slowly uh, walked away from the company, and they didn't turn their backs on it, they just no, they bought no, their way out. And, not uh, at all. Uh, it looked the, these were people who were very busy, who were you know yep. serious creatives. They had a lot on their plate, so they had we, different editors. We don't want to characterize this as like ah, they just jumped the ship. No, that is not it at all. But they, they did. They created a thing. And then the thing had a life of its own. It didn't need them with it anymore. And they just went on. You're like, I've got like a whole plate full of things I can't wait to do. So that's more what that was about. But um, Citadel Magazine um, had more stuff for Warhammer Fantasy Battles. And then uh, they alluded to that there was going to be a fantasy role-playing game. There was a fantasy role-playing game in the very first edition of Warhammer but it was much like the Chainmail or uh, Basic Dungeons Dragons. It was very, very sparse. But nonetheless, uh, they would start hinting that they were going to do a science fiction game using the Warhammer rules. And they would do the science fiction game. It would be called Rogue Trader. And it like went on for five years before anybody saw anything remotely close to it being completed. <laughs> So, uh, well, yeah, I mean, it is quite a piece of work. Uh, one of these days, we will have a session where we talk Warhammer. Yeah. Uh, you know, both the... I mean, I believe we have discussed on occasion Warhammer, the fantasy role-playing exactly. game. Exactly. Uh, but Warhammer 40K, we have not often uh, yeah, so, brushed up against. But we will. It's going to happen. Have faith. Uh, yeah, just like them. We'll get around to it one of these days. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> with the Citadel magazine, which strangely become... Uh, it had uh, new releases from Citadel Miniatures. It was a miniatures catalog, but it also had gaming material for Warhammer enthusiasts and all that. And that's where they would end up going with White Dwarf. I think it was around 99 or 100, they started really hitting the Warhammer stuff hard, especially the 40K releases. And they were selling lots of magazines, so it was very good for them. And they transformed from a multi-venue gaming magazine for all interests into a specific Warhammer, Warhammer Fantasy, Warhammer 40K uh, magazine that just had articles and for that, and then became very miniature-oriented. Now, would you say that that's a, a really rigid thing even now? Or oh, yeah, they, they, yeah. They, I, you know, if you were to talk... Because like, that was my impression, but look, I haven't been through the last like few episodes. I don't know. I'm not absolutely certain but my impression over the last few years has been that it's pretty strict it's a if you look back it's a little bittersweet looking where they were and what they become because now they cover warhammer they cover the things that of course that they promote and they make so it's a logical step to make but in that there's been something lost and if there's a little bittersweet feeling on my part it's mainly because they used to cover such a large spectrum of the gaming community and the what's out there that it seems kind of i don't know seems uh, like something's lacking but just things change and uh, that's just the way of the thing and i, I do want to emphasize that the quality of the magazine you know like the the well-made production quality uh the you know skill of the staff writing editing publishing still very high Okay, oh, yeah. they're, they're held to a very high standard. So even as I critique, I'm, I'm trying to remember my own critic about criticism about critics in the modern era. You know, it's important to address the qualities uh, as opposed to the negatives. Um, and it is still a well-produced, you know, very attractive 
and in this era, reasonably priced. You know, it, by if you were to weigh it against other magazines of similar size, I'd, all right, a little premium price. Uh, but still, if you are a fan of Warhammer in general and the products of Games Workshop, this is a quality magazine. It's it's an enjoyable read uh, on those subjects. And the only thing we really lament is that the origin point from which it came uh, brought so much variety to the table. It really did. And we miss that. I, I don't think we're unjustified in going out no. on a limb and saying uh, that was a golden era where the magazine was just a gold mine. You, you cracked open any issue and there was something in there uh, that had a good chance of being of interest. Yeah, some other magazines from the time, uh, if we're going to do some hindsightness, is uh, Different Worlds, which was Chiasium's uh, house organ, if you will. All right, a worthy mention. Of, uh, they uh, had a lot of different uh, games besides just the ones they published, too. Uh, I remember getting uh, the stats on the X-Men for Villains and Vigilantes, as well as Champions, um, before they got that issue sued out of their hands. <laughs> uh, space Gamer, Fantasy Gamer, Steve Jackson... Um, was also really? another one. I had a few issues of those because they would cover D and D. I would talk about that, and especially Traveler, but also a lot of Car Wars, Ogre, and Battletech. Oh, Car Wars! We really got to do an homage to that someday. Not not a whole game, but we should go over the, the catalog of few. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about Steve Jackson games and the craziness from that. Um, yeah, cause... and another British magazine, Imagine. <laughs> Which was marvelous. Yeah, that was another one just in the same vein. I'll be oh. honest, I only ever saw one. Yeah. One here in the United States. Just one. That It's the only time I encountered it. And I wish I'd read more because it was, in a it, true to its name, it was imaginative. Yeah, it really hit the spectrum. Again, just like White Dwarf did. They took in a whole... They weren't dedicated to any one theme or game. They were just gaming. Imagination. This is this What's is what, that about? Yeah, you know. Let's explore. Very open-minded attitude. Very explorative. Yeah, and all these games are all these uh, publications have ceased to exist. And of course, we have the internet now. So if we're going to complain and be old men like yelling at the <laughs> man bun wearers with their vaping, uh, we're going to also have to say that we came from an era where you know your content was somewhat uh, created for you, and there was a certain yeah, I don't know if I want to say entitlement, but there was a certain expectation that when you bought that and you were impressed, you you felt loyal to it. Yeah, there was an expectation, almost a demand to be continually impressed. But like, and it, it's not anything that we did to to merit it. Okay, we there was no hard work on our parts that guaranteed us the right to this incredibly high quality, amazing material. It just happened to be that by accident of birth, we were growing up in an era where there was sort of a Wild West Renaissance, crazy thinking, freewheeling vibe going on. And we were the unwitting recipients of all of the good side of that. Yeah, they were so competing now, for your dollar. You know. And I, to get earn that dollar, they I, I tried to outdo themselves. You make a good point because some of my unforgivingness uh, is rooted in the sense that but there were so many amazing things once upon a time. How come we don't have those anymore? The world sucks. Um, that is probably a little bit of wrong-headed thinking on my part there. I'm not... I'm being uh, less than generous. Well, you're uh, being human. How about yeah, that? Yeah, I, I, I'm... <laughs> and you, you 
make a point here that makes me stop and think to myself, you know, I didn't do anything to merit that much awesome stuff happening around me. That was not owed to any innate quality of myself that was excellent. That was just what was happening at the time. And uh, honestly, not to be too hard on myself, but, you know, here we are, you know, like the adults in the room in this era. And if there's a dearth of amazing stuff, well, that's kind of on our generation. That's, mm -hmm. you know, and we got to go make that world. Uh, and the Internet has been a great tool. There's a lot of exciting stuff happening out there that... Uh, sometimes it slides under my radar and I don't catch it. So I, I'm going to, I'll walk it back a little. Oh. I'll walk it back. I'm, I'm going to withdraw some of that. <laughs> but our music was better. Uh -huh. no. <laughs> Ain't that the fucking truth. You speak to God's truth, my friend. Uh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, well, for science fiction games, you know, it, it, honestly, I, I feel like... Uh, if I were to invent a the binary language of computers having an argument, I would use dubstep. I always thought it was robots having gastric distress. So. Yeah, you know, farting robots. Um, <laughs> you know, with with somebody who has had their jaw shattered and like their mouth wired shut <laughs> doing the lyrics. <laughs> All right, so we're gonna. <laughs> Or we're somebody who deserves to have their jaw shattered. Bring this back to the point. And <laughs> we're going to lament that White Dwarf, it's no longer with us, but in the same form. But it still is no. on the stands. And, you know, there's something to say about that. I and think if, it's if carried you, through. Yeah, if it has stood the test of time. It's one of the magazines from that era that is still here. And there's a nod to be given just for that. Yep. However, many evolutions they have been through. And whether I like all of the content that's in there now the way I like to... 30 years ago, uh, point remains, they're still here. A lot of others yep. are not. So a special kudo has to be given for that. And then number two, if you are an aficionado of the Warhammer variety of games and the products of Games Workshop, uh, though the magazine is just a house organ now, it is an incredibly well-produced and very effective house organ mm -hmm. and should not be condemned just for that. So kudos well, to the white Dwarf, one of the great magazines of science fiction fantasy gaming that has like survived to the modern day along with us indeed all right well i guess that's going to bring us to the end of our podcast and some mercifully will be begging for us to have done that a couple minutes earlier but nonetheless <laughs> we've uh, in, you've endured our before the loose dog slipped off the watch you know just, <laughs> woo! I'm riding a 12-hand for glory! Huh. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, uh, you've endured our slings and arrows uh, long enough, and so we're going to let you go, but I uh, appreciate you listening in. And again, if you have any comments or things you'd like us to cover on the show, let us know on our Facebook page, as well as uh, letting us know what we got right and what we got wrong, because we get a lot wrong. And uh, oh, you can we do that do. on uh, our Twitter feeds. Uh, you can get a hold of me at uh, Death Hand Gaming. That's D-E-T-H-A-N-D. -E -E Follow me there. Magi Box, M A G I V O X. Make sure you uh, follow that cat. He needs some more followers, so oh. uh, help him out. Well, some follower love doesn't hurt. No, but, it doesn't. Uh, you know, remember, I I openly admit that I am I am a total casual when it comes to the Twitterverse. I am like literally that part timer. You know, well, just, sure, yeah. but you know, as in all things, followers, the number of followers doesn't always matter. Four oh. new followers on. 
Twitter, that's not that much. I really Four like followers that. following you into a dark alley, that's another matter. Uh, well, okay, yeah. And I, I should give a shout out to uh, literally everybody that I communicate with on uh, Twitter on with any degree of frequency. I really enjoy a lot of your posts. So uh, I'm, I'm quiet. I'm a guy in the background. I'm not uh, internet ever present, but... On those occasions that I appear, I usually have a terrific time and read something interesting. And uh, some of the, the polls that people come up with and questions about uh, styles of gaming, um, the likes and dislikes, the format is very intensely short, owed to the, mm-hmm. the length of characters allowed. But I enjoy it just the same. Which so, is the soul of brevity. Yeah. yeah brevity is the soul yeah, of I know. Brevity. I'm backward, isn't it? Oh, well, <laughs> no more backward than I. All right, that wraps us up for the day with uh, kudos to our our Twitterverse friends. Mm -hmm. All right, so yeah, catch us on there. And remember, may the dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.